Good evening, Advent Hope. It's good to see all my friends. Um, I've been gone almost a year. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. And uh, I've missed you guys. So I'm glad you're here tonight. And uh, we're going to... Um, we're going to ask the blessings of the Lord upon us this weekend as we talk about one of the most important but most ignored subjects in the church, prayer. You know, there's only one thing that the Bible calls the house of God. It doesn't call it a house of singing, sermons. He calls it a house of prayer. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? So tonight we're going to be talking about that. And before I pray, um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you entered into the doors tonight with thanksgiving in your heart? Can you raise your hands? No matter how bad your week has been, no matter how many challenges you've had, no matter how many struggles that you have right now in your life, did you know that God tells us to always enter His sanctuary with a, with a spirit of thanksgiving? Psalms 104, or Psalms chapter 100, verse 4 and 5 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Let's go ahead and bow our, our heads today, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for gathering us here tonight to focus on Jesus and the power of prayer. And I pray that this would be a blessing as we come together and discuss this very important topic. May we all be inspired, Lord, to have a more active, more energetic, more powerful prayer life, Lord. May we connect with the omnipotent power of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it seems like whenever I am invited to speak and I pray earnestly for God to lay on my heart what He wants me to share, He seems to always touch on an area of weakness in my own life. Why is that? And, you know, I didn't choose the topic for this weekend. Um, I, was, I told um, Paul and Melody that I'd be in the area this weekend, and they said, well, let's do a prayer weekend. And so the topic was chosen for me. But, you know, God has a way of letting me know areas of my own life where I need to greatly improve, and prayer is one of those areas. Yes, I have a regular prayer life, but I could, I could stand to have a much more energetic and vigorous prayer life. How about you, friends? You know, we cannot pray too much. I want to start with a, uh, a quote from a guy named Stephen Olford. This is what he said. It is my conviction that we are never going to have revival. We are never going to have revival until God has brought the church of Jesus Christ to the point of desperation. As long as Christian people can trust religious organization, material wealth, popular preaching, shallow evangelistic crusades and promotion drives, there will never be revival. But when confidence in the flesh is smashed, and the church comes to the realization of her desperate wretchedness, blindness, and nakedness before God, then and only then will God breathe in. Yes, there must be the point of desperation, but there must also be the point of intercession. Oh, that God would bring us to this place of intercession. 
We cannot think or talk, let alone taste of revival, without intercessory prayer. Indeed, the reason for an unrevived church in the last analysis is the sin of prayerlessness. And how many of us have been guilty of prayerlessness? How many of our churches? And yet you look at churches that that do experience revival, there is always, always something that is not lacking, and that is the people coming together to pray, to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard someone say, well, we've done all we can, so I guess all all we have left to do is pray? Have you ever heard that before? Isn't that terrible, Raja? Raja spoke this uh, Wednesday at prayer meeting about some of her experiences. Um, Prayer really should be our first resort, not our last resource. Don't you agree with that? Someone once said that seven days without prayer makes one week. Isn't that true? Well, tonight I want to talk about conditions for a successful prayer life. Conditions for a successful prayer life. And I don't think I'm going to get through them all because I want to leave us some time to pray together, actually, tonight. Um, how can we talk about prayer and not do it? Um, you know, Ellen White says there are basically seven conditions for a successful prayer life. The first condition is to have faith. And that's where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time. Have faith. Because I think that's really an area where we lack so much. And, and above all things, I think that's why sometimes our prayers don't seem to really reach God. Number one, we need to have faith. Number two, we need to feel our need of help from God. Ellen White says that our great need is, in, is itself an argument and pleads most eloquently in our behalf. In Steps to Christ, page 95. Number three, another condition for our prayers to be successful is to renounce sin. How can we, if we are um, having active sin in our life, um, blatant rebellion against God, how can we at all talk to Him? I know there's been periods in my life where I was blatantly rebelling against God, and I would try to pray, and I, I just knew that there was no point in it. Uh, number four, another condition for a successful prayer life is the spirit of love and forgiveness in our hearts. The spirit of love and forgiveness in our hearts. You know, we cannot be wrong with man and be right with God. Isn't that true? If we can't forgive someone, how, can we, how in our heart can we receive God's forgiveness? Number five, another condition for successful prayer is to persevere. Perseverance. Pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer, the Bible says. Number six is to seek God's will. Right? Instead of following our own lusts. And number seven, we need to pray with praise and thanksgiving, right? You know, Ellen White says that if our prayers seem to be empty and hollow and they just don't seem to be reaching God, we need to have thanksgiving in our heart. No matter how depressed our life is, we need to somehow, some way, claim the promises that give us praise and thanksgiving to God. So now I want to go back to number one and really spend the bulk of my time here, and that is... Um, have faith. Easier said than done, isn't it? Have faith. Jesus asked a very stunning question in Luke 18.8. Luke chapter 18, verse 8. This is what Jesus said. 
When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on this earth? Now, what generation is he speaking to? He's speaking to our generation, isn't he? Do you hope to live to see the second coming of Jesus? Okay, so he's speaking to you and me. When Jesus comes in the clouds of glory, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in your heart? First point I want to make about faith is that God expects us to pray in faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter, or the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to turn to the faith chapter. Hebrews 11, very good chapter and a good one to memorize. This is the hall of faith, God's people. And you know, the writer of Hebrews makes a pretty stunning statement in verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Wow. God is basically telling us if we do not pray in faith, our prayers are meaningless. How many times have we prayed? Have you prayed? Have I prayed? where we really didn't have faith in the power of God to answer that prayer. Wow. Could this be why so many of our prayers seem to go unanswered? So really this begs the question, what is faith? And verse 1 defines that for us. Verse 1 and 3 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. God is very powerful. Just by his word alone, he called this world into existence. You know that the largest star, some astronomers say that the largest star out there is a star, it's called Canis Majoris. Some people call it the big dog star. I don't know where it got, got that name. Have you ever heard of Canis Majoris? Have you ever, um, has anybody ever put it in perspective how big that star really is to, for you? Well, let's put it this way. If the, if the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, this star would be so high, it would be the height of Mount Everest, the highest point on earth. Can you imagine a golf ball next to Mount Everest? Okay. Now, does anybody know uh, what the number quadrillion represents? Is that, be- is that the number beyond trillion? Cheryl, you're a mathematician. You go from million, billion, trillion. It's Sabbath. Is the next one quadrillion? You don't know? Okay. Well, okay. Canis Majoris is so big that it, ta- it would take seven quadrillion earths to fill it up. Let me give you an idea of what that means. Let's say that you took a golf, you took golf ball or a golf ball and put it on the state of Texas, okay? You would need 22 inches of golf balls, 22 inches deep on the state of Texas to equal how big this star is. So if the earth was the size of a go- golf ball, you would need 22 inches deep across the state of Texas to fill up that star. 
That's a lot, isn't it? Imagine a God that is so powerful that he can call a star like that into existence just at the mouth of his word. So when the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 3, that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That says a lot. Psalms 33, Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. And what's amazing about prayer is that we can tap into that power the power of the Word of God. Someone once said that prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Imagine being able to ask God that can just call something into existence like the earth or a human being or a star that's so huge we can't even imagine it. Imagine being able to release His power for whatever we ask as long as it's according to His will. So again, what is faith? Faith is the assurance that the thing which God has said in his word is true and that God will act according to what he has said in his word. This is what George Mueller said about prayer. He said, no impressions are to be taken in connection with faith. Impressions have neither one thing nor the other to do with faith. Faith has to do with the word of God. It is not impression, strong or weak, which will make any difference. We have to do with the written word and not ourselves or our impressions. So if God says it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me, right? Even if we don't feel like it's true. George Mueller also said probabilities are not to be taken into account. Sorry, mathematicians. Many people are willing to believe regarding those things that seem probable to them. Faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The province of faith begins where probabilities cease and sight and sense fail. And great many of God's children are cast down and lament their want of faith. They write to me and say that they have no impressions, no feeling. They see no probability that the thing they wish will come to pass. He also said that appearances are not to be taken into account. Because if we see just with our eyes, rather than take the, taking God at his word, we don't see much, do we? Our vision is so limited. And now, beloved Christian friends, you are in great need to ask yourselves whether you are in the habit of thus confiding in your inmost soul in what God has said, and whether you are in earnest in seeking to find whether the thing you want is in accordance with what he has said in his word. So really, the question I have for you tonight is, do you take God at his word? I got one amen. Friends, do you take God at his word? Amen. Amen. The next point I'd like to make is that Jesus assures us that we can pray in faith. Let's look at the book of Mark, where Jesus is talking. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And verse 22. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. 
Jesus says, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Jesus makes a pretty bold statement there, doesn't he? If you believe, you will have them. Do other Bible writers also assure us that we can pray in faith? Let's look at the book of James. Who wrote the book of James? James. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Look at what James says. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, the one that wavers, think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do you ever pray and just not receive answers? Does it seem like your prayers just are powerless? Could it be because you don't pray in faith or believing that God will do what he, he promises to do? Let's look at the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. One, one of the things I really love about God is that he doesn't equivocate. He says things boldly and definitely. In his word, he says, trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Not maybe, probably, perhaps. He says he shall bring it to pass. That's a powerful promise, isn't it? I like what Ellen White says in the book Steps to Christ about faith and prayer. She says, prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. Okay, so just imagine you could go to a door that has a lock on it. And to unlock that door to tap into the boundless, limitless, infinite resources of God. All you have to do is go there in faith and use prayer as the key. Your hand is the, is the hand of faith, and you put the prayer of faith in that hand to unlock the door and to tap into God's unlimited resources. How often when we approach God, do we really believe in that kind of faith. She also says in Second Testimonies, um, ch- uh, page 279, one petition offered up to God in faith has more power than a wealth of human intellect. One petition is greater than a wealth of intellect. 
And I'm glad for that because my intellect isn't very high. But I know someone who is. His intellect is very high. Someone else said that prayer without faith is like a check without a signature. Prayer without faith is like a check without a signature. Is a check without a signature worth anything? No. It is worthless, for the signature below is what gives a check value. But the prayer of faith has on it the signature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is good for any amount when presented at the bank of heaven. How much is the check good for? Any amount. Don't we pray for such little piddly things when we could pray for so, such greater things? Philippians 4.19 says that my God shall supply all your need. How much of your need? All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is what a man named Bishop Hall said. So-called prayer, and he puts prayer in quotes, so-called prayer. If it is only dribbled from careless lips, falls at our feet. To form words into prayer into the effectual prayer that pierces the clouds above and reaches the throne of heaven, takes faith. But every child of God may pray, pray the effectual prayer that availeth much. I know for me, many times prayers are dribbled from my careless lips, and I know they fall at God's feet. Do you remember when Christ came down from the Mount of Transfiguration? He was greeted by a man who had a demon-possessed son. And the father was very perplexed, and he cried to him. He said, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Do you remember what Jesus replied to him? What did Jesus say? He said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Does Jesus make that same promise to you and me? If you will believe... All things are possible to him that believeth. And do you remember what else that man said? He said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Did God still reward and honor that prayer? God, help my belief. Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. There's a story about a little mountain village. And this village got its water supply from a lake that was above the village. And there was a pipe that connected the lake to the village. And one day, all the people of the village noticed that they weren't getting water in their homes. And they were perplexed. And they started to despair. The men in the village analyzed the pipe coming from the lake and they realized that there were no breaks in the pipe. And so people started giving up on the water supply and many moved out of town. But one day, one of the town officials received a note and this is what it said. If you'll just pull the plug out from the top, you'll get all the water you want. The plug was removed, there was an abundance of water, and prosperity returned to the half-famished and half-deserted village. How many of us as Christians are robbing ourselves of heaven's blessings in just the same way? We pray, but the channel 
of prayer is clogged or plugged with unbelief. Asking and not believing is like holding a bottle under the sink with the cork in the bottle and not receiving the blessings of God. That's why in Desire of Ages, Ellen White said, it is faith that connects us with heaven and brings us strength for coping with the powers of darkness. Friends, do we need help coping with the powers of darkness? Have you sinned lately? Have any of you sinned lately? Could it be that when we sinned recently that we did not grasp the hand of God through prayer? She says that in Christ, God has provided means for subduing every sinful trait. How many sinful traits? Every sinful trait and resisting every temptation, however strong. Someone named Cortland Myers says that if we could only look behind the curtains, we would be able to trace the streams of power back to their source in the heavens. We would discern that the very instant the prayer of faith was uttered in the secret silence of the lonely soul, there was something taking place at the other end of the line and in other lines and in other parts of this world. The next point I I would like to offer is that faith may be increased. You know, I've kind of recognized a problem in many of our prayer lives, and that is the lack of faith. But is it possible to increase that faith so our prayer lives can be strengthened? Do you believe it is possible? You know, there's a, my favorite, one of my favorite texts in the Bible that talks about how you can increase your faith is found in Romans 10, 17. Does anybody know off the top of your head what that, what that promise says? That's right. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Let's say, friends, that you have very little faith. Okay? If all you do is start claiming promises in the Bible, even taking the text of the Bible and using those as your prayers, do you think that God will increase your faith? Say, you know what, God, I, I, I really, my faith is really weak. I really don't believe. Help my unbelief. But what I do know is that your word is true and that you're, you will do what you say. If I just take these promises and make them my own, our faith can grow incredibly. You know, it's... God struck me with a really powerful thought a while back, and I just love to share it with others. Do you know that when you find a really good text that seems to just hit the problem you have right now, or seems to really express how you're feeling, what you're thinking, and really gives you strength and comfort, do you know that God had you in mind when he had that writer write that verse? Have you ever thought of that before? that God actually had you in mind when he had that writer write it a certain way. That's why the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Because the word quick means living. This is not just a 2,000-year-old document. It's living. It's powerful today. Oh, but this is so much easier said than done, isn't it? 
I want to talk a little bit more about George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. He was an evangelist. He was a, uh, he was a wealthy man. Not because he made a lot of money um, as a businessman or a professional, but because he just prayed. You know, he started orphanages in, in England. He educated many people. He sent many young people uh, to college. And as far as I know, he never had to ask people for money. He went right to the top. Have you ever, when you're, um, have you ever gone to a company or a government agency and you're so frustrated you're not getting help, you want to go directly to the boss? You ever done that before? What usually happens? Do you, if you went to Ford Motor Company, could you go talk to the CEO? If you're having trouble with the way um, Washington is doing things, could you go talk to George Bush? Probably not. Um, even if you went to a local government office, do you think you'd be able to talk to the elected official? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how busy that person is. So George Mueller said, why should I waste time going and begging money from humans when I can go right to the source? So he, he just prayed to God, and God continually supplied his needs. I want to share with you some things that George Mueller said about that, because I think it's really helpful. Because it's one thing to address the problem, lack of faith or deficient faith, but it's another to talk about solutions and to give us some thoughts about how we can increase our faith. How many of you would like your faith to be increased? Okay? This is what George Mueller said. God delights to increase the faith of his children. What's that word? God what? He delights to increase the faith of his children. Our faith, which is feeble at first, is developed and strengthened more and more by us. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and say it very deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. It's probably not what you wanted to hear, is it? Those seem all like negative things we try to avoid, right? Trials, obstacles, difficulties. Yet George Mueller said that's the very food of faith. I get letters from so many of God's dear children who say, Dear Brother Mueller, I am writing this because I am so weak in faith. Just so surely as we ask to have our faith strengthened, we must feel a willingness to take from God's hand the means for strengthening it. We must allow Him to educate us through trials and bereavements and troubles. It is through trials that faith is exercised and developed more and more. God affectionately permits difficulties. Boy, you, you don't normally hear those four words put together like that, do you? God affectionately permits difficulties. That He may develop unceasingly that which He is willing to do for us, and to this end we should not shirk. But if He gives us sorrow and hindrances and losses and afflictions, we should take them out of His hands as evidences of His love and care for us in developing more and more that faith which He is seeking to strengthen, us, strengthen in us. Okay, so He says it's trials and difficulties that strengthen our faith. The church of God is not aroused to see God as the beautiful and lovable one He is, and hence the littleness, littleness of blessedness. 
O beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, seek to learn for yourselves, for I cannot tell you the blessedness. In the darkest moments, I am able to confide in him. For I know what a beautiful and kind and lovable being he is, and if it be the will of God to put us in the furnace, let him do it, that so we may acquaint ourselves with him as he will reveal himself, and that we may know him better. We come then to the conclusion that God is a lovable being, and we are satisfied with him and say, it is my father, let him do as he pleases. And you know, I think the reason we don't experience more trials is because we avoid them. We don't, we don't go in places where God can use trials to develop us. But when, we come, when we're willing to come out of our comfort zone, he'll put us through those trials. And I guarantee you, his will wants to take us to trials and difficulties. So if you're having no trials, difficulties, you're on easy street, you've got to examine, am I really following God's will? When I first began to allow God to deal with me, relying on him, taking him at his word, and this is where it gets really interesting because he makes it real, it's a personal testimony. Um, I set out 50 years ago simply relying on him for myself, my family, my taxes, my traveling expenses, and every other need. I rested on the, sample, or the simple promises I found in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Read Matthew 6, 25 through 34 carefully. Let's look at that together. And I got to tell you, this, this passage gave me great comfort too when I finally decided to quit my job because I used to worry so much about my own um, bills and expenses. How, God, how are you going to take care of me? I used to read this passage not really believing it. But let's take a look at this, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, friends, this church has been given a very special message, the most important message that was ever given to mere mortals, the three angels' message. He is calling men and women to take this message to the world. And yet so often we are hindered to do his will in taking that message to the world because we worry about the very things I just read. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? He wants to use so many of us. Anybody who knows the three angels' message, God wants to use you to spread it. 
Now, he may have you do it in, in, you know, where you're at. He may not ask you to go to the other side of the world. But he's asking all of us to do that. And uh, a lot of times, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit by not taking this message more serious and not taking God at his word to provide for our needs. You know, Ellen White says that as we get closer to the end, God will call more and more people out of their secular lines of work to work full-time in gospel ministry. Do you believe that's true? Do you want Jesus to come? Are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do to help hasten his coming? Getting back to George Mueller, I believed the word. I rested on it and practiced it. I took God at his word. A stranger, a foreigner in England, I knew seven languages. Wow. He, he was a bright guy. And I might have used them perhaps as a means of rem, uh, remuner... <laughs> Get this word. Say it again. Okay, you got it. Employment. But I had consecrated myself to labor for the Lord. I put my reliance in the God who has promised, and he has acted according to his word. I've lacked nothing. Nothing. How much did he lack? I have had my trials, my difficulties, and my purse empty, but my receipts have aggregated thousands of dollars while the work has gone on these 51 years. Then with regard to my pastoral work, for the past 51 years I have had great difficulties, great trials and perplexities. There will always be difficulties, always trials, but God has sustained me under them and delivered, now, and delivered me out of them. And the work has gone on. Now this is not as some have said because I am a man of great mental power or endowed with energy and perseverance. These are not the reasons. It is because I have confided in God. Because I have sought God and he has cared for the institution which under his direction has a hundred schools with masters and mistresses and other departments which I have told you before. I do not carry the burden. And now in my 67th year, I have physical strength and mental vigor for as much work as when I was a young man in the university, studying and preparing Latin orations. I am just as vigorous as at that time. How come? Because in the last half century of labor, I've been able with the simplicity of a child to rely upon God. I've had my trials, but I've laid hold upon God, and so it has come to pass that I have been sustained. It is not only permission, but positive command that he gives to cast the burdens upon him. Oh, let us do it. My beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Day by day I do it. This morning, this very morning, 60 matters in connection with the church of which I am pastor, I brought before the Lord. And thus it is, day by day I do it. And year by year, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years. But then he warns us, do not believe to, to obtain full faith at once. All such things as jumping into a full exercise of faith in such things I discountenance. I do not believe in it. I do not believe in it. I do not believe in it. And I wish you plainly to understand I do not believe in it. You got that? <laughs> all such things go on in a natural way. The little I did obtain, I did not obtain all at once. All this I say particularly because letters come to me full of questions from those who seek to have their faith strengthened. Begin over again. Stay in your soul on the Word of God, and you will have an increase of your faith as you exercise it. It's just like going to the gym. I mean, do you start off benching 400 pounds? No, because your muscles are weak, right? 
So we have to start off small. God takes us where we're at. One thing more he said. Some say, oh, I shall never have the gift of faith Mr. Mueller's got. This is a mistake. It is the greatest error. There is not a particle of truth in it. My faith is the same kind of faith that all of God's children have had. It is the same kind that Simon Peter had and all Christians may obtain the like faith. My faith is their faith, though there may be more of it because my faith has been a little more developed by exercise than theirs. But their faith is precisely the faith I exercise only. With regard to degree, mine may be more strongly exercised. Now, my beloved brothers and sisters, begin in a little way. At first, I was able to trust the Lord for $10, then for $100, then for $1,000, and now with the greatest ease, I can trust Him for a million dollars if there was occasion. But first, I should quietly, carefully, deliberately examine and see whether what I was trusting for was something in accordance with the promises in His written word. Isn't that wonderful? We need no more George Mueller's in the world today. I like what one other person said. She said, absolute faith in God and his personal care gives that wonderful peace which pleasure, prosperity, fame, or anything else cannot give. Neither can sorrow, poverty, nor trouble take it away. The faith of Paul and Silas had ripened into perfect trustfulness as they sang praises to God in the prison dungeon. What did they do in the prison dungeon? They sang praises to God because they trusted in God with iron shackles on their feet. Truly, as Isaiah says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Now, I see a number of you out there who, with me, looked at where Paul was imprisoned right before he was killed when he wrote 2 Timothy, where we believe he was imprisoned. And it, was, it wasn't too bad, right, when we were just there for like 10 minutes with our flashlights, and I think there was even a light on in there. But imagine being there in that dark prison in uh, Rome and singing praises to God because of their faith in God. You know, when I was in Micronesia, I didn't have a lot of faith. And sometimes God takes the very little faith that we have and, and, and blesses it. And um, the principal came to me at the end of the first semester and she said, I would like you to teach a class in the next semester. I'd been teaching Bible, high school Bible. And, um, you know, I, that's what I really wanted to go over there to do, you know. So I was really happy teaching the Bible. But also it would have been, you know, it was nice to have a little variety. And she said, I want you to teach a class about the law. Well, I said, that would be great, except I don't know what I'll do for a curriculum. I had a couple mock trial packets that I could use uh, for the students, and uh, we could do a couple mock trials, but she wanted me to teach this class five days a week for the whole semester, and I thought, there's just no way that doing a couple mock trials is going to keep these students uh, occupied. So I perplexed over it. I went to the library to see if maybe there's a book called Law for Dummies or something like that. Because obviously, um, you know, I'm not going to get into the complexities of contract law or something with high school students. Um, I just wanted to give them an overview of the different aspects of the law. 
So just like we frequently do, you know, we try other things before we finally go to God. Now keep in mind, I was on an island in the middle of nowhere, okay? Yap was an island. Uh, how many of you have heard of Yap? Oh, quite a few of you. Okay, how many of you have been to Yap? Two hands. <laughs> Beautiful island, isn't it? Well, it's only about 50 square miles, and um, it's one of those islands that, I mean, what's amazing is this island, um, the islanders used to bring in these huge pieces of stone money from Palau, which was about 250 miles away. That may not seem like any big deal, but when you're on the open water, it doesn't take but a few miles to lose sight of land. And how in the world did they, were they able to go 250 miles and get to the, their destination? Not only to Palau, but back to Yap. Well, they had to have gone at night using the stars. They were master astronomers. It's just amazing, though, what they were able to accomplish. Anyway, it was a small island in the middle of nowhere. And um, it, I looked high and low in the school, and I couldn't find anything about law for a curriculum for the students. So, without much faith, I prayed to God. And I said, God, if you want me to teach this class, then you're going to have to provide a textbook or something for a curriculum. Do you know that very day, God's blessing upon my prayer literally came from the heavens? Do you want to hear what happened? Um, the, that very day, we got an announcement that the U.S. Coast Guard uh, was coming from the island of Guam, which is about 500 miles away, in a big helicopter, and that they had a shipment of used textbooks. Now, I'd never heard of a textbook about the law for high school students. Now, we have a couple lawyers back there. Have you ever heard of a textbook for law students? I, I mean, for um, high school students? I didn't even know so, such a thing existed. But you know, as we unpacked those boxes, and I, you know, I'd, forgot, I'd long forgotten about my prayer, but as we unpacked those boxes that came from, this, um, from the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter, um, we had just hundreds, well, should I say hundreds? Yeah, we had hundreds of boxes, much more than we needed. And there were textbooks on French and Spanish and all kinds of elective-type classes. And do you know that in some of those boxes, it had high school textbooks called street law, all about the law. These were great books. Yeah, they were used, but they were great. You can still find them on eBay because um, I was going to bring a picture tomorrow, but I decided to tell you about it tonight. Anyway, um, we had many, many more books than we could use. In fact, the principal said, we don't have enough shelf space. We'll have to give them to the Outer Islanders. So like Yap got the hand-me-downs from Guam, and we gave our hand-me-downs to the outer islands where it was even more uh, primitive. And so there I had it, this textbook, which gave really good overview of the law. <clears throat> it, um, it talked about case studies. It was just perfect. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have asked for anything better. And this was out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Now, do you think that was a coincidence? Do you think that helped increase and strengthen my faith in God? Yeah, but you know what? You know, you know something? <clears throat> that was um, six years ago. We need fresh experiences every day 
in faith, don't we? And I'm going to be sharing some more of those tomorrow. Um, it's getting kind of late, and I don't want to take any more time. So I'll be talking tomorrow about more experiences, more, more uh, recent experiences in doing Bible work and evangelism, about how God has um, answered prayers in a, in a miraculous way. So before we close tonight, I, uh, I would like to have us come together and pray. Um, are there any volunteers that would like to come, uh, maybe pray from the front? And we could pray together. Do I need to call on people? Wendy? Wendy, would you come? Wendy's a prayer warrior. I miss uh, hearing her prayers, her fervent, believing prayers. Zoltan, would you like to come forward? I remember Zoltan and I um, participated in the local chapter of Operation Global Rain for 10 days. We need more of that, don't we, friends? Coming together and fervently praying as a group. Do you know how Operation Global Rain started? Basically, Ivor Myers, um, I believe this is how it started. He, he, he pastors the Templeton Hills Church, and they decided they needed to come together because there was a lot of disunity and problems in the church, and they came together. And they prayed for 10 days as a church. And they saw miracles happen. People that hadn't talked to each other uh, come together in unity. Differences were set aside. And they really bonded. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. We're going to be talking about what did God do in the early church that we read about in Acts. Do we have maybe one more volunteer that would come up and pray? for us and our church. Oh, that you would touch each heart this evening, that we may recognize the need, the deep need that we have to seek you in faith daily, Lord. Yes. To start out our day walking with you so we may experience you walking beside us throughout the day, Lord. Oh, Father, we are so thankful that you have given us Jesus and his example of going out early in the morning or sometime in the evening and praying through the night. And then doing things that people said, who is this? that the power of God is manifest through him in such way. Who is this that the wind and the sea obey his words? O oh Lord, and you tell us, Jesus told us, that we will do greater things than he did. We cannot believe that, Lord, many times. And even right now, we are just pleading with you, Lord, make that happen. For without you, we are nothing. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, help us to have greater faith. Help me to have greater faith. Amen. And as we come before you, Lord, we... We don't want to bring strange fire before the Lord. 
we bring your own Holy Spirit's word and your promises, not our own works, not our own um, efforts at faith, but work in us to will and do of your good pleasure, Lord. And and um, may we look forward to seeing the answers to our prayers to even greater extent than we can imagine. Um, and thank you, God, for strengthening my faith tonight as I learned, listened to this message, heard these testimonies, and uh, know that you are calling me to a deeper faith in each one of us here, each person listening. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Our dear gracious Heavenly Father, the King of the universe, the one who runs to embrace us, even though we have spit in your face and nailed you to the cross, we ask that you again would forgive us because you are so merciful and you are so loving. And you have showed us your love in that you were willing to die because you were so devoted to us that you would not let us perish, but that you were willing to be put in the flame because you loved us so. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for our sins that have multiplied against you, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we do ask that you would bring us into trial because it is in trial that we see your beautiful face. And Lord, so, so often it is true that we do resist that because it is so difficult for us. But I pray that you would make us able and willing and that within the trials that we would sing the highest and the most joyful songs so that all around us would see the beauty of, of your character being developed in us. And Lord, as hard as it is, we ask for this, because soon you will come in the heavens. The birth pains of the earth are showing the signs that the time is coming, and it's getting quicker and quicker, and we may only have a few more years on this earth, and so many do not know the beauty of you in our lives. And we ask that you would reveal that to others, and we ask that you would use us as mighty warriors for you, for you have called us from before time to be here at this time, which means that you've entrusted us with your most sacred message of who you are. And we ask that you would use us because we want to be used by you, Lord. But as that man said, please, our unbelief, make up for us for our unbelief and take us through to the end and allow us to glorify your name and allow us to be standing next to your throne and allow us to be part of the 144,000 where we would joyfully go with you wherever you go on a daily basis. You are our most beloved, our dear Father, and we pray that we would return that to you so that we would put a smile on your face and that tears of joy would come from you and not sorrow. We ask that you would bless each precious person here that was able to come and those who are not able. And we pray that in each one of our lives, Lord, reveal to us the dastardly deeds that we do that cannot be, we cannot retain them. And allow us to give them up, Lord. Teach us how to give them up. And save us in your kingdom and all that 
come in contact with us, Lord. I pray that every single soul that you've brought us into contact would know your name and would profess it and that they would be saved by the power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In closing, dear Lord, I want to lift up your people here tonight. Lord, I want to ask that you would forgive us for our unbelief. Uh, I've had so much unbelief, Lord. Help us to take your word more seriously. Help us to come to your throne of grace with boldness, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Lord, we're always in need. Lord, perhaps the reason we have such little faith is because we are the Laodicean church. We, are, we think we're rich and in need of nothing, and so we don't look to you for much. But Lord, you've told us that we're blind, we're naked, we're miserable, and wretched. Lord, help us to know that that's the condition we're in. This may be Advent hope, but we're, we're blind, we're naked, we're, we're wretched, Lord. We are wretched sinners. Lord, help us to come to you with boldness and authority, not because of our word, but because of your word. Lift us to heaven, Lord. May we stop bringing, trying to bring you down to our level. And may we allow you to bring us up to your level, to the gates of heaven. Lord, I pray that each soul here tonight and every soul within the sound of our voice would have a stronger prayer life and to really truly exercise that arm of faith to put that key of faith or that key of prayer in in the hand of faith to unlock your omnipotent resources. Lord, help us to be more bold in spreading the gospel, not for our own needs. You've already promised you'll take care of those. You really want us to pray to spread the truth and to give people salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be instruments for that purpose. And please be with us as we think of you this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen.